This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Z Prime On the Grid. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Aaron Hardick. Aaron, how are you holding up? I'm doing well today, Dylan. How are you? Uh, doing good. Feeling like I really hitting the ground running today so I'm, I'm ready to dive into the podcast this week we have a great episode uh, we're talking about a new e-bus project happening in Austin and to talk about that we have the deputy chief of staff at Capital Metro Sam Sargent Sam uh, welcome to the show hey thank you very much I'm really excited to be here and we have uh, the bus proprietor as well on the program is Senior Director of Sales in the Southwest for Proterra, Lauren Scoville. Lauren, how are you doing today? I'm doing quite well, Dylan. Thanks for having me. Well, we're happy to have you both on. Uh, Sam, can you explain the scope and scale of this project you've begun with Proterra? Sure, I'd be happy to, yes. Uh, so Capital Metro is, is venturing off into a uh, zero emissions electric vehicle future. And uh, our partnership with Proterra um, involves the purchase of six buses, six 40-foot electric buses from them. Uh, we already have two of them actually uh, in service now, which is very exciting. Uh, and it's also given us a really great opportunity to uh, test out the range and uh, battery life and everything else about these vehicles on a variety of routes. Um, so these are the six the first six electric vehicles uh, in Capital Metro's fleet, um, and it's a really it's a really exciting partnership. How has that gone so far for you, especially considering you know what's happened to public transportation this year? Well, you know, in terms of being able to see what these vehicles can do, um, like many other transit authorities, we've seen about a sixty five percent drop in our ridership and. You know, unfortunately, that was at the end of 18 straight months of ridership increases around our system since we did a big bus network redesign. But we also know that the reason for that was so that people could stay home and stay safe. But in terms of our partnership with Proterra, um, we really we haven't been able to get the information maybe we would like from a lot of customers uh, hearing more of that qualitative feedback about the quality of the ride and everything um, on board, but we are still able to get great data um, quantitative side for how these vehicles are performing, how they're performing in different topographies, different uh, length of routes, and um, and different times of day and different weather conditions. So it has still been a great opportunity to see what our future fleet is going to look like uh, when they're when they're out on the road. And the other thing, too, I would say is that uh, Capital Metro and the city of Austin last week, actually, just passed unanimously uh, the locally preferred alternative, so the plan for Project Connect, which is uh, heading towards a November ballot, and it's a just shy of $10 billion investment in light rail, bus rapid transit, and a wide variety of other mobility solutions in Austin. So. I say that because we are still very much investing in this community, that the, the public health and the economic and the social situation is a really difficult one, but we think that investments like this will help us move forward. 
Sam and Lauren, can you tell us kind of just how this project started? Who approached who? How did you guys, you know, kind of get involved and how did you decide what exactly the terms of the project were going to be? Um, we knew that Capital Metro was interested in moving towards full fleet electrification. And for most agencies, that starts with a smaller uh, pilot type bus deployment. And so uh, Capital Metro was able to buy Proterra buses and chargers off of the Georgia Cooperative Purchasing Schedule, which is a streamlined approach to procurement. So agencies are able to buy buses and chargers very easily without the labor and time required um, traditionally through a uh, competitive solicitation or a request for proposal. And so uh, you know, the once we determined or once Capital Metro determined that they wanted to move forward with Proterra as their um, OEM for their 40-foot electric bus fleet, it was really a quick, a quick process in terms of getting the buses uh, contracted and delivered at the early part of 2020. Thanks, Lauren. So, Sam, I, let me get this straight because I've, I've read, you know, a few different local reports on this partnership. One of them said that you guys already had four buses in operation, but it sounds like you just have two. So, with the total of six buses being purchased, does that account for the two you're already using or are an additional six buses going to come online? So we had buses one and two delivered in December of 2019 um, and we have the remainder. Uh, so it will be six total, uh, although there are four options on our contract, but it will be six total and we have two in service right now. And we expect to get uh, two more next month and two more in August. So, um, so they'll they'll start arriving really quickly, and we are getting them out uh, on a variety of, of routes um, as quickly as we can. And what was kind of the intention around doing this incremental implementation of two buses at a time? Was it so that Cap Metro could? figure out the right strategy or, or kind of why did you guys decide to do this incremental implementation approach? Sure. I think part of it was probably uh, internal bandwidth to a degree, because when we have these vehicles, especially with them being so new to our fleet, we wanted to make sure that we were giving them the proper attention every time they went out and we're getting some really great data um, about the emissions reductions, miles between road calls, um, any amount of battery degradation. And so far, everything is looking really fantastic with these vehicles. Um, and another part of it too, is that up at our North Ops facility in North Austin, um, we are well underway with, a, uh, with our first electric vehicle charging yard. So that uh, facility is already a bus and rail maintenance site. Um, but we also needed to have the capacity to charge these vehicles before that facility came mm -hmm. online. Um, so by 2024, for instance, we plan on having 80 electric buses, but we're building a facility that can accommodate over 250 vehicles. So uh, our ability to charge and, and have that infrastructure was also part of it. Gotcha. So, um, Lauren, at, at 
at full charge, uh, a bus can run up to 150 miles. Um, and that sounds that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good for a bus. I'm sure range anxiety in public transportation is uh, in some ways very different and in some ways very similar to on a personal vehicle. So what? Uh, how how does a how does this kind of bus that Proterra makes perform relative to a gas-powered vehicle? So I would say that first, it's not just about range; it's also about efficiency. So one of the most impressive features of a Proterra battery electric bus is the drivetrain and propulsion system that enables a fuel economy of up to 25 miles per gallon equivalent. So if you look at a conventional combustion engine, a transit bus gets about three and a half miles per gallon. Um, so the fuel economy on a Proterra battery electric bus is uh, tremendously uh, more efficient than a conventionally powered vehicle. Um, and also the bus that Capital Metro has is our, what's known as our E2. So it has 440 kilowatt hours of onboard energy storage. That is not the longest range bus uh, available on the market. Proterra makes a bus called the E2 Max, which has up to 660 kilowatt hours of onboard energy storage. Um, we've also, we broke our own world record and traveled the longest distance uh, ever traveled by any EV bus or truck ever on a single charge. Um, so while range anxiety might be a common misconception and still exists, um, Proterra battery electric buses are able to uh, meet the needs of most transit routes, just like a conventionally powered bus. So, Lauren, give it to me in a little more plain language, because I, I do have trouble just kind of understanding what exactly that means for, I guess, the riders. So typically, how, how many hours can a bus be on its weekly schedule or before it needs to go to be charged? Like, how do you kind of communicate that to, say, a bus driver and they're asking, well, you know, how long can I drive this thing before I need to charge it? How do you communicate that to them? So a couple of ways. So first, before a transit agency decides that they want to purchase a battery electric bus, we do something called a route simulation. And so we look at their current routes, both in terms of hours and miles. And then we simulate the range that we think we can achieve on an average day, a hot day, and a cold day, knowing that temperature greatly affects range. We also factor in, you know, different drivetrain options. We can factor in, a, you know, a cold weather package for uh, customers who might run in cooler climates. And then from there, we make a recommendation to the customer on how many batteries, how much energy storage they need on board in order to meet their route requirements. So for a transit bus driver, we would communicate this to them, Proterra wouldn't, but Capital Metro would, um, and that they would, we, Capital Metro would deploy their battery electric buses on routes where they know they can achieve the daily range requirements and the daily hours of service requirement. So Proterra battery electric buses have a um, indicator on the dashboard for bus operators sort of like we have on our cell phones that shows the amount of battery and percent of state of charge that we have remaining. 
that same you know, visual indicator exists on the dash of Proterra battery electric buses for drivers or for bus operators. So they know, um, you know that they have significant or sufficient range left to meet their uh, route requirements. And then in terms of charging, that's a really great question. Any of our buses can be charged via a plug-in charger or an overhead charger. And so uh, overhead charging was primarily done in route in order to supplement range. Um, and so we can replenish about 30 miles of range um, in about 10 minutes if a bus needs to you know, top off, so to speak, while it's en route. But the way Capital Metro is using their buses, they don't need to be recharged en route. They head out you know, in the morning um, for their run, come back at the end of the day, and then they plug them in to recharge. Wow, that seems like quite great optimization from the use of the asset on, on Cap Metro's side. Sam, where are you guys in this process of determining, as Lauren mentioned, determining like what the best route is so that you can charge when you want to charge? Is this like a continuous process? Are you still trying to figure out what routes are um, the best for using this e-bus and for using these e-buses? And do you expect that to be a continuous thing as you try to bring more of Proteras buses online? Yeah, I do. I think that we're really taking uh, a scientific approach to this. And especially when you think about it in terms of right now only having two of these vehicles uh, in our fleet, um, but even when we start getting up into the 10, 20, 30 vehicle uh, number for electric buses, our total fleet is about 340 right now diesel. Um, and so if you included a 20% spare ratio, um, we would need to, we would really need to try a number of different routes to see how these vehicles function in different settings. But we also want to look at it in terms of the customer experience, because I think everybody who's ever ridden on uh, an electric vehicle knows that the experience is pretty incredible. That when you think about, hmm, what is it about the bus trip that's different than, say, um, going on light rail or on an electric commuter vehicle, which you may have ridden on in, in Europe or Asia, and a lot of it is just the noise. And there's little that we can do about that when it's a diesel vehicle. So we wanna make sure that when we don't have a majority of our fleet as electric vehicles, uh, that we get enough data that we know where the best places are for them and how they function. But we also want to make sure that as many different types of customers get to experience it. Because right now, a lot of what we're doing is educating the public. And we're really educating the public on why the bus is still part of our future um, and, and mm. what it is about the bus that makes people think differently than a train. And a lot of it is dedicated right of way, but a lot of it is also just that quiet, smooth ride that you get with an electric bus. And so we're trying to spread the love around the system as much as we can. We wanna make sure that we do it on some cross towns, maybe do it on some of our uh, more senior uh, grocery-oriented routes, but also some of our busiest mainline routes, which also happen to be some of our longest, uh, which is a really, you know, critical thing for us to see uh, so that we know 
you know, can we run this on Route 1, which is about 21 and a half miles long all day in the middle of the summer? And our hope is yes, but um, we've got a lot more uh, trial and error to do. Can I just ask real quick what, uh, what you, you're saying you want, uh, one of the metrics you wanted to look at was just like uh, different kinds of different kinds of riders. Are we talking about like when you, when you say different kinds, do you mean like economic demographics or do you mean like ride average ride length or frequency of ride? Like what are the metrics you're specifically looking at to 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 gauge the end user experience, the rider experience? Yeah, I would think since we don't know um, exactly who is on board our buses, because we have an open fare system, we aren't able to track uh, the origins and destinations of all of our customers in the way that you might be able to at some other um, more, let's say, subway-based systems or subway-focused systems. Um, but we do want to start with having a good geographic mix. And once you start having a better geographic mix, you wind up having a better and more varied demographic mix. Um, but yes, you're, you're absolutely right that we also want to see length of trip, uh, type of trip, uh, because like I mentioned, we have some routes that hub only out of uh, senior housing facilities or low income housing facilities and grocery stores, for instance. So. There's this work for people who are bringing their groceries on board or bringing a cart or using a mobility device. Um, those are all really critical things for us to know. Um, and is it a comfortable ride for some of our longer trips, like some of our commuter routes that go up to suburban communities and are more in the 30 to 33 mile range? So, um, so we'll start with geographic diversity, but I think that that's going to get us a lot of different trip types and a lot of different customers. And is Sam, is this something Cap Metro is doing, or is Proterra involved in any way in helping you kind of understand your your demographics and what people are using the buses for? No, in terms of our customers, that's that's all Capital Metro. Um, Proterra is our partner with the vehicles, and they are a fantastic partner uh, in terms of being a technical resource and in terms of working through the quantitative side of this. But no, in terms of where we place these vehicles on a given route, uh, that's something that our operations team and planning teams determine. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful to know. I, I feel like, especially when it comes to fleet electrification, trying to really draw the line of responsibility helps move some of these projects forward. Who should really be doing what within the project to make sure that it's getting the most success? So I, I want to get back to some of the some of the challenges that you guys have faced while working on this project. Sam, you mentioned, you know, that one of the, the biggest constraints up front is charging availability for the buses. And so that's why you really only have two right now because you need to make sure that you can, can charge them so that you can use them. Where from inception to rollout have some of the other challenges been in terms of, you know, like planning and then getting these buses online? So far, um, the newness of charging uh, for our fleet is certainly a big part of it. And the fact that we don't have the facility uh, ready to go um, and won't until the fall that we will be using for charging vehicles in the future, that's, that is one of the challenges because we, we have a fully finished product from Proterra but uh, we're, we're using a little bit of uh, ad hoc technology to take care of them and to charge them. 
I think that the other part of it is just we have a brand new bus and, you know, no different than any other complex uh, machine. There's always going to be a little bit of shaking out, but um, but by and large, I I really don't think that we have encountered that many challenges. I mean, we're 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 watching the range. We're watching battery degradation. We're making sure that our uh, operators are properly trained with how these vehicles work. Um, that obviously takes some amount of time because we've got plenty of operators who've been with us for a, a long while, um, and they've been driving the very similar diesel buses for years, if not decades. So, so there's a learning curve there, but we're we're fortunate that we've got a really professional group of operators, and we're able to get a hold of Proterra whenever we need to, to, to troubleshoot any technical issues. But um, no, by, by and large, uh, the two vehicles we have, uh, things have been going very well. What about you? What about you, Lauren? What are some of the, what are some of the obstacles you often have to, you have to go, you have to go through along these kinds of projects and then not necessarily from the client, but just along the process. Yeah, I would say that this isn't necessarily an obstacle, but it's like Sam has said, it's often a gating, the infrastructure and charging is often a gating item. And so transit agencies, we encourage them to bring their utilities in as partners early on and engage them in their electric bus program discussions really from the beginning to ensure that they're planning and, and designing either existing or future facilities um, with, the, with optimized energy and infrastructure in mind. Um, and I know that Capital Metro has done that with their relationship with Austin Energy. They, they brought them to the table in some of our earliest discussions. And I know that Austin Energy has been a great partner for them in the development of their new operations and maintenance facility. Um, and so again, it, I don't necessarily think that it's um, a, a challenge or an obstacle in terms of planning, uh, but that infrastructure has to be in place in order to charge the buses. Yeah, and that, that's a great point, uh, Lauren. I, I should have mentioned that. Um, and I, I remember mentioning it during the uh, City of the Future event in San Antonio, um, <laughs> is that our partnership with Austin Energy is is so critical to what we're doing because right now, we're sort of an island that purchases large amounts of diesel fuel. We we do fuel hedging, we do all of these things, but it's something we're able to do on our own with our, our sales tax funding. But now we, we're really beginning a great robust partnership with Austin Energy to make sure that this North Ops facility is up to our standards, is up to our customer standards to make sure that we can make pullout with electric vehicles every single morning and then long term, like I mentioned with Project Connect, we expect to have an all electric zero emission fleet along with uh, light rail, which would be using uh, catenary or some other electric technology. So similar to many uh, transit agencies, we expect to be one of the largest customers for Austin Energy uh, in the future. And it's, it's really exciting. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. From a sustainability standpoint, it's fantastic in terms of our close-knit relationship with the city of Austin, which we are separate from. Um, and it's just really exciting to kick things off um, with Austin Energy by charging these Proterra vehicles. 
in sort of the same, if, if not exact same vein, but at least similar tone, um, Lauren, what are what are sort of when you're in the say when you're in the in the in the sales process or in the in the dis open discussion of the resource of resources part of the project? What are some of the misconceptions you have to work through your work your transportation clients through um, in regards to bringing on uh, in, in regards to electrifying part or all of their fleet? I think there are probably two misconceptions uh, that are still out there in terms of electric vehicles in general, but certainly uh, battery electric buses included. The first is range anxiety, which we talked a little bit about. Um, but Proterra has continued to innovate and evolve our buses over several generations. So we started off with fast charge buses that had to be recharged en route because that was the state of battery technology at the time. Um, today, you know, we've deployed over 500 vehicles. A few years ago, we introduced our long-range plug-in vehicle options. And so I think at Proterra, we really pride ourselves on being, you know, the market leader in battery electric bus technology. And with that leadership role comes the expectation that we also educate the industry. And so I think that while range anxiety might still exist as a misconception, um, it's on us to continue educating customers and prospective customers about you know, how far battery electric bus technology has come. I would say that the second misconception is around cost. Um, and while we are reaching pricing parity with conventionally powered fuels in terms of the upfront capital cost of the bus, there is a significant opportunity for transit agencies to experience savings in the area of fuel and maintenance. So electricity is a historically cheaper and less, less volatile fuel source than uh, diesel. Um, and so there's an opportunity for savings there. And also in the area of maintenance. Um, our battery electric buses do not have an engine. A transit agency does not have to do an oil change. They have 30% fewer parts. Um, so I would say that, you know, another misconception is just around cost. And again, it goes back to education. We do a total cost of ownership analysis for our customers to look at their opportunity for savings over the traditional 12-year life of the bus. And most agencies, um, you know, once we go through that analysis with them, they realize that there's actually, you know, an opportunity for savings over the long run. Can we can we talk about education has come up a few times and just the importance of it. How do you work with the bus drivers to make them feel comfortable enough to overcome range anxiety? We've done a lot of work on electric vehicles, personal electric vehicles. And what I've found from an education standpoint is the best way to kind of break through those anxieties is by allowing someone to actually drive an electric vehicle. Sam, so can you talk about just how you've worked with the drivers of these buses to maybe overcome some of their anxieties, whether it's range anxiety or just the simple anxiety of driving something completely new. Did you give them an opportunity 
to experience driving the bus before they took it out on their route? Did you hold workshops or kind of how, what did that education piece look like? Yeah, the operators uh, who are coming off of our uh, extra board to run these routes, since the routes tend to change um, on a day-to-day -day or at least a week-to-week -week basis, um, uh, means that we've got a pool of operators who have driven these vehicles before. They were able to test the vehicles uh, in a controlled environment so they could get used to uh, the look and the feel and where the instruments were and, and everything else um, before they get on route with customers. Uh, in terms of route or range anxiety, sorry, um, I have not heard that anxiety uh, from our operations folks or our operators. Um, and I think a lot of that just speaks to the level of trust that we have within the agency that, uh, that our mm -hmm. operations folks uh, who were largely responsible for the selection of Proterra and the purchase of these vehicles, as well as our maintenance shop, are putting a good product on the road every day. And that's no different than us putting our diesel buses out there. That when, a, when an operator gets behind the wheel, has their paperwork, and is gonna start their day, they've put a lot of trust that the mechanics overnight or whenever the last uh, service was have done the right thing and that that vehicle, which Lauren said had, has 30% plus more parts, um, is gonna function correctly. So. I don't think the anxiety is there because I think there's trust that the vehicle that's being put out there is a good one and that it's going to serve our operators and our customers well. Um, some of our operations staff uh, would have also had the opportunity to use Nissan Leafs. You had mentioned uh, testing on any type of electric vehicle because a lot of people may not have an electric vehicle as their personal car. And uh, we've had those as our non-revenue fleet for over a year and a half now. Um, so a lot of folks at the agency have gotten used to relying on a battery of how you charge. And granted, we're not running, um, you know, we're not running a route and revenue service, but still your brain does change a little bit from keeping an eye out for a gas station and, and just how it feels and how it functions. Um, but no, by and large, I think there's been a lot of trust put into these vehicles. I think Proterra puts a great product out there on the street. And the more of these we get in service, uh, the more feedback we'll get. And I think the more comfortable everyone's going to get with this being the new way of the world. Well, that, that's great to hear that there hasn't been you know, too much pushback from the folks who are actually operating these buses. Lauren, Cap Metro aside, because it doesn't really seem like they're having too much of an issue from this standpoint, what is what has Proterra done to kind of maybe help ease these anxieties and, and other projects where you may have had significant pushback from the folks who are actually operating the buses. Do you do, you do anything to help with um, adoption or do you do anything to work with these transit agencies that are using the buses to educate their employees on them? Yes, absolutely. So at Proterra, we offer a really robust workforce development package that is included with every bus and charger purchase. And so we don't just drop off the buses and then say, good luck, see you later. Uh, once the vehicles <laughs> arrive on site, we offer operator training, we offer bus introduction training, 
bus maintenance training and charger maintenance training. And so our, our transit agency partners have that, um, have that training really from the onset right after their buses are delivered. And so we get them comfortable with using a, a driving, um, refueling, so to speak, a battery electric bus. Please edit out where I just said refueling because I'm using air quotes and you can't see that. <laughs> and obviously, <laughs> you, don't you don't refuel an electric bus. Um, I'm, yeah, you can't see air quotes on a podcast, Lauren. I would also add that once you remove the batteries, a Proterra battery electric bus is just like any other bus. It has the same seats, same flooring, same mirrors, same doors. Um, and so that's really one of, the, one of the education points that we like to drive home with both the operators and certainly with the mechanics, that this isn't scary. Um, and once you remove, you know, the, the batteries, which mechanics are not going to be working on anyway, it's, it's just a bus. And so we, we feel like that really um, helps uh, instill confidence uh, both into the mechanics and into the operators. I think that's a great point, Lauren. Um, to, back to Aaron's question, you know, I don't think that we've seen much anxiety on the operator side. But I know that I've heard from uh, folks at other agencies when just talking about it theoretically that there was more anxiety on the side of the maintenance department because they've been working on diesel vehicles for a long time. And uh, to Lauren's point is that, yes, it, it is it is in essence the exact same vehicle with a different power pack. Um, and so, you know, much of the work is still there. There's not as much retraining as one would think. And so we have not experienced that much uh, anxiety from our from our maintenance staff either. Uh, where did this is maybe like sort of a minor addendum to that, but um, what about it just in terms of uh, sort of lifespan of the of the battery powered engine versus the li versus the lifespan slash cost to replace of a of, of a di of a diesel powered engine? Does that how do how does does that translate to to, sa to savings down the road? Does it, is it more work, less work? How, how does that work? Yeah, so a, a transit bus that is purchased with federal money has to stay in service for 12 years or 500,000 miles, whichever comes first. A transit agency can opt, and many do, to leave their buses in service longer than that. And so a Proterra bus is different than other transit buses on the road because it it has a composite body, um, which is carbon fiber reinforced. And so it's a really durable and safe, non-conductive, rust-resistant structure that's actually been tested uh, to an 18-year life. And so you say, okay, the body might last 18 years, but what about you know, the other components on the bus? Um, depending on how uh, far a bus is driven on an annual basis, so the average is about 40,000 miles a year, we estimate that a transit agency will need to replace their batteries around the six or seven year mark. That is the same time that a transit agency would be doing what's called a midlife overhaul um, on a diesel bus anyway, uh, but that is a cost. Uh, the battery replacement is a cost that we factor into our life cycle cost analysis. and in most instances, the, the agency still stands to save 
several hundred thousand dollars over a diesel bus. I will say that our uh, our first customer has had its buses on the road for 10 years this fall, and we still haven't replaced a battery pack. Um, Park City, Utah has had their buses in service for three years. They run them 70,000 miles a year. And so they've accumulated more than a million miles on their fleet. Um, and their, their battery state of health is still in really great shape. So the six year mark is really just a guide. It's not, it's not um, a given. So what, one thing I really wanted to talk about um, on this episode is the importance of social equity and access to services for everyone in the community. I, I think it's you know very apparent right now that marginalized communities feel like they don't have as much access to services as other parts of their community. So when you're doing something like this, when you're you're deploying new buses, you're, you're looking at new technologies to put into the community. How do you make sure that that service is available to everyone and everyone in the community, specifically traditionally marginalized communities? Sam, you mentioned that these buses are running on different routes to make sure that different people have the chance to experience them. Why, why is that important? So can you, can you talk to why that's important and how you start to design systems that are more inclusive so that everyone can use them? Yeah, of course. Um, so obviously we're, we do Title VI uh, analyses on a wide variety of things, including um, obviously when we change uh, bus routes, when we change schedules, that was an enormous part of our CAP remap uh, June 2018 uh, bus network redesign was ensuring that the changes that we were making did not have a disparate impact on low income or minority populations. But that's really the nuts and bolts um, of, of, uh, of making sure that you're building an equitable system. But we all know that it goes far beyond that and that it has to just be a part of your agency's culture. And so, uh, like I mentioned, only having two of the vehicles in our 400-some uh, vehicle fleet means that uh, in order for people to get to experience one of these Proterra buses, and, and let's say it's the end of this year and we've, we've got the six and then a couple more new flyers, um, it's on us as Capital Metro to make sure that we're looking at our demographic and low-income heat maps that we're looking at our route maps since again we don't know exactly who is on our vehicles uh, we're not keeping track of our customers nor are we able to keep track of our customers based on income and demographics but we can take a look at where these routes go and the types of places that are served and just make sure that we're putting these vehicles out there um, in a wide variety of places. So a wide variety of uh, racial demographics, of income, uh, of accessibility of age, uh, because Austin has the uh, School for the Blind as well as the School for the Deaf. Uh, we have a number of senior housing complexes. So we wanna make sure that when we think about equity and we think about including people in this really, really exciting partnership, 
that we're spreading it out as much as possible. And so that if one person on the west side of town has had the experience on Route 18 of being on a Proterra vehicle, that somebody in the southeast side of town, and you don't have to have been to Austin, but you know, on another side of town has also had that same opportunity. And it's not only is it sort of the dignity of the trip, because you wind up having this great quiet experience, but let's say it's the end of the route and you've got an electric vehicle uh, holding over at the end of the route, it's no longer idling there uh, in your neighborhood. It's just quietly sitting there uh, before it starts up again. So we're trying to go on as many routes uh, to hit as many different types of places and people as we as we possibly can. And then even in between uh, putting buses out there, we're also doing as much education as we possibly can. And that means schools, that means um, uh, technical, um, working with our, that means schools, that means working with our community colleges, that means going to every neighborhood that we can find to educate them on the why, that this is not just an exciting new product that we're putting out there, that this is really the agency's future and the reason why we're going this route is to create a more sustainable, more equitable, cleaner uh, transit system for everybody here in Austin. So my hope is that people really see this as a tool to help improve their communities and that we're able to take these vehicles into as many communities as possible. I would just add to that that we know that there are areas that bear a disproportionate share of the air pollution burden. So think of communities that are located near heavily traveled roadways um, and their you know, congestion is increasing in Austin and that is why CAP Metro is launching their Project Connect plan in order to address congestion now. But these residents often lack the resources to relocate. So I would say that Public transit from you know, a fundamental level plays a really vital role in reducing emissions from the transportation sector, but electric buses take that a step further. So every electric bus that is deployed reduces 230 pounds, excuse me, 230,000 pounds of CO2 annually. Um, that's each bus every year. So over the 12-year life of a bus, that's 2.7 million pounds of CO2. And so I think when we think about um, social equity and justice, we also have to think about the communities that are disproportionately affected um, by air pollution. And, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, I think that it's more important than ever and that clean air is essential to public health. Um, we know that air pollution contributes to respiratory issues such as asthma and pneumonia, and we know that people with these conditions um, are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And so I would just reiterate that um, when we're talking about social justice and public health, we have to, you know, the conversation has to be about air pollution and battery electric buses um, go a long way towards reducing emissions from the transportation sector. Thanks for that uh, very high-minded uh, view of view of that and the and, and the role that the that uh, transportation plays in that plays in that equity. Uh, Lauren, thank you very much for uh, being on to uh, discuss this project and all of the uh, really interesting energy issues surrounding it. Absolutely, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. And we. 
uh, appreciate having you. Sam, uh, thank you for the discussing what Cap Metro is doing going forward, and uh, we'll probably have to check back in once the rest of the buses have rolled out and see how you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for for including Capital Metro and uh, and Proterra in this podcast. This was great. Absolutely, uh, Aaron. Thanks for thanks for being on and uh, discussing this project happening in your backyard. Exactly. In my backyard, I need to get out and find one of those Cap Metro e-buses so that I know what the user experience is about. I'm really excited to hear about this happening in my own community. Yeah, I have to have to do an we'll have to do an EV errands road trip to the other side of town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If that, if that does end up happening, you'll find it along with our research and media at zprime.com. You can also find us on social media at dylockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>